Uh, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, 2, sorry. That's on the same page, so anyway. Nehemiah chapter 2. Not chapter 12. <laughs> that was somebody's phone app or something, but it's not 12. Chapter 2. There is a 2 in 12, but... Now, if I start to hear pregame stuff uh, on there, then I'll, then I'll really get concerned, you know. Live from Minneapolis. You know. All right, Nehemiah chapter 2, starting verse 1, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart, so I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, may the king live forever, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? And the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set, a, I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalot and Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for your spirit now to speak through your word. May each and every one of us, Lord, hear from you, draw near to you, and apply that which you would want us to know, learn, and live out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We saw in the opening scene of Nehemiah his care and his concern for the people of Jerusalem uh, that had returned from Persia and had returned from Babylonia. Uh, his question as to their condition and the condition of the city. We saw his response, didn't we? Of tears, of mourning, of prayer, and of fasting. Many days, it said he fasted many days when he found out that the people were in distress, that the walls were broken down, that the gates of the city were burned with fire. We saw as he took his burden, before, uh, his burden for the people and the city, and he brought it before the Lord praying that the God of heaven would be attentive to his prayer. We looked at the disposition and the depth of his prayer. And he, he exalted, remember he exalted the name of God? We just sang that song, we exalt thee. I won't sing any more than that. Uh, <laughs> we exalted the name of the Lord. He humbled himself before the Lord. He confessed the sins of the people and his own sins. You know, when we pray, we're always confessing our own too, right? Because it's a, it's a we prayer that we talked about. And he was pleading for the mercy of God. We saw that Nehemiah 
quoted back to the Lord scriptures that God had already written. You ever pray scriptures back to the Lord? God, I'm reading this. I'm going to pray it right back to you. He quoted these scriptures back to the Lord. Not only God's rightful judgment, he recognized that judgment was was, uh, certainly deserved, but also God's promise to bring restoration if there was genuine repentance and if there was a real turning to God. That's our prayer for our own nation, right? If there's genuine repentance. God knows the difference between fake and phony, right, and real And this is the heart of Nehemiah, that God would hear his humble prayer, that the people in despair would hear the voice of God. I mean, if people are in despair and we have the answer, we hope that they hear us. Amen? Amen. That they would hear God's voice. And that the broken lives and the broken walls, and you, you have to see that the broken walls are a metaphor, aren't they? I mean, they're real. They really are broken walls. They really are broken down gates. But people's lives are broken down. And so those walls are representative of what God wants to do in the hearts. Now, there's no doubt he was joined in this same attitude of prayer and this focus of prayer by his brother Hanani and the other men who came. So, because remember, he said uh, in, in, in verse 11 of chapter 1, he said, hear the prayer of your servants, plural. So I believe that Hanani, who later would be serving with Nehemiah and the others, uh, were part of that small prayer group. But there is one more important observation at the close of chapter 1 that sets the stage for what transpires here in chapter 2. And we barely skimmed it as we closed the examination of Nehemiah's prayer just a couple of weeks ago. That fervent prayer, we barely skimmed this one piece that's very important as we move into chapter 2. Let me draw your attention back to the final words of Nehemiah's prayer in verse 11. Look at chapter 1, verse 11. And let your servant prosper this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who's this man? Artaxerxes. So he's like, Lord, I need you to prosper me. You ever prayed that? Lord, I need you to prosper me. I need you to give me mercy. I need you to give me favor that this door would be opened. I need you to make sure that this guy doesn't take off my head which is a very real possibility. This is the first glimpse that Nehemiah is not only praying for a miraculous turnaround in Jerusalem, but let me draw your your attention one more time. Let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy. We get another insight here. He's not only asking that God protect him, but we see something else here. He's not just praying for the miraculous intervention in Jerusalem. But if it's the will of God that God would use his position, his employment, his job to access the king and somehow his access to the king, which, by the way, most people in the world don't have access to the most powerful ruler on earth, right? But Nehemiah does. And that God would use his access and his opportunity to have a discussion to bring relief to the people in his homeland. The prophet Jeremiah said very many years earlier, here, am, here I am, Lord, send me, not send someone else. He didn't say that. Here I am, Lord, send them. This is the problem in the church today a lot of times. Here, people do say that. Here I am, Lord, send him, right? <laughs> Her, right? 
It's as if Nehemiah is saying something along these lines. Lord, if you prosper me, if you give me the green light, you ever prayed for green lights? Lord, if you give me the green light, if the king were to hear me and not get ticked off at me and respond favorably, and you want to use me, I don't bring much to the table, Lord. I don't really know how to, I've never run a big project like this. My job is very specific here with the king. But if you want to use me in any way to help the people in the city, I'm willing and I'm ready. Boy, God loves to see that prayer in our hearts, right? I'm willing, Lord, and I'm ready. Understand that Nehemiah, he knew others had tried and failed before. Some had had partial success, but not seen all the walls rebuilt, all the gates back up, not the revival. There had been partial success, but not full success. Many, in fact, most, had no interest in even trying. Most people had, you know, most people don't have an interest in trying. Not when it comes to important things. Not when it comes to spiritual things. Not when it comes to getting people saved. Not when it comes to discipling. Not when it comes to reaching out. Most people don't have time or real interest in that. And most didn't have any desire to return to Jerusalem. The majority of people that were Jewish liked the lives that they now had and didn't want to go back, didn't want to go help. Still others never inquired about the city. They didn't pray for the remnant that returned. It just wasn't on their radar screen. But Nehemiah, as we looked at before, and some of you participated in the Friday Night Fellowships where we dug a little deeper in these, these questions that he was asking, he not only was compelled to care and to ask, and to pray, and to fast, but to keep praying, and keep praying, and keep praying. And that's what we got to continue to do with Pastor Randy and other situations. Just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. But he was also not willing to just keep praying, but he was willing to act and take new steps of faith and surrender. If God said, all right, now you've prayed, you're looking for someone, and I chose you. He'd be willing to act. His prayer was not, Lord, raise up someone else, but Lord, if you want to use me to stand in the gap, if you want to use me to make a difference, I'm ready and I'm willing. Nehemiah cared enough to volunteer himself to be used by God however God saw fit. A lot of times we are willing to be used by God, but we have very strict guidelines not that God listens to our guidelines, but we still have them, right? God, I'm willing to be used, provided <laughs> it falls within this month, this time frame, and I don't have any discomfort, and people like me a lot. doesn't happen that way. This is what it means, according to Romans chapter 12, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. We were, yesterday, we were, um, we were, uh, in Fredericksburg all day, my wife and I with other Calvary Chapel pastors and their wives, and, and they were talking about, um, one of the pastors there was talking about the fact that they were somewhere in Europe or the Middle, was it Europe or the Middle East? East Middle East? Yeah, and so they were going to go to the street outreach, and, and one guy, there was a, like a death sentence on his life, a contract for him to be killed, and they go out there, and they're going to, and they say, hey, wait, 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 you probably shouldn't be with this group. I mean, we, we could die, or you could die. He goes, you don't understand. I'm already dead. 
He said, we're already dead. He said, we've already died with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. No, what are you talking about? We could die out here. We're dead now. I tell you what, when you really start to believe that, you're a living sacrifice. You're kind of ready to go anywhere. You're like, bring it on, right? So that's kind of the way Nehemiah was. He was saying, Lord, if you want to send me, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm a living sacrifice. However you want to use me, usable, available. This isn't a word, but I made it up. Sendable, sacrificial. That's what God's looking for in us. But what if we don't have the talent? We don't have the abilities. We think we don't have the time, which is a big deception, by the way. We don't have the courage. We don't have the experience. We don't even have the remotest desire. That's, by the way, we've got to be honest with God a lot of times. We say, Lord, I don't even have a desire. So you have to be honest with God. Say, Lord, I want to have a desire, but I don't. I, I like to say I don't have the time, but I probably do. I just don't know where it is. Because a lot of times we really do believe these things. We've come to believe them over years of, of kind of self-convincing. But God says none of that matters. We're to simply and sincerely start anew and say offer ourselves afresh and anew. Daily living sacrifices. We do that and we just trust God with the results. Amen? And that's what Nehemiah is about to do here. He's about to say, all right, Lord. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I asked for favor. If you give the green light, I'm going to close my eyes and give it a shot, right? And that's what it's going to turn out okay for him, actually, isn't it? If you're taking notes this morning, you can see the title, uh, While We Wait. Don't we love to wait? Oh, man, I don't like to wait. I don't even like to wait for unimportant things like lines at the Starbucks or, you know, just the drive-throughs and stuff like that. And these aren't even important things, much less waiting for important things. But one thing God teaches us is we've got to wait. We've got to wait. And if we are willing to wait in the Spirit and according to the Lord, He's going to do a great work, and we're going to look at that this morning. The first thing that we want to observe in Nehemiah uh, while he waited, there's three things that we're going to take a look that happened in his life during this waiting period. And the first one I want to draw your attention is working while waiting. And it came to pass, verse 1, the month of Nisan in the 20th year uh, of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. And he goes on to say, you know, I was the cupbearer. This is my job title. And so as we pick it up in chapter 2, it's been four months or about four months since Nehemiah first heard the report, so there's a four-month gap here, since he first heard that report of Jerusalem and that immediate heartfelt response that he had, four months but no movement, no green light from God, no opportunity or at least one that he felt at peace with to say what was on his heart. And amazingly, for four months, as much as he's been praying, weeping, fasting, he's, he's kind of held it together at work every day. Everyone thought he was doing fantastic. By the way, sometimes God will hold it together with you because you need to be a mom or you need to be a dad or you've got, you've got people under your responsibility and you might be going through things and God will say, but don't, if when you, everyone remember when Jesus said when you fast, don't act like you're fasting, just wash your face and look like, you know, you're not supposed to walk around with a pity party, you're supposed to 
just be an encourager anyway. But what about all the stuff I'm going through? God says, I'll take, you just let me take care of that. Still exude confidence and joy in me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so that's what Nehemiah was doing. But there was no movement. Now, this doesn't mean that the burden isn't there. It doesn't mean the burden sometimes won't finally bubble up at just the right time. God will do that. I love these words, though, from Warren Wearsby in his book, Be Determined. Speaking of Nehemiah, he said, unknown to him, Nehemiah was about to join the glorious ranks of the champions of faith. He didn't know this. He didn't know when he went to work week after week that he was going to join the ranks of some of the greatest men and women of faith in all of history. He didn't know that. He just knew he had a burden. He knew he was supposed to be very happy in front of the king, even though inside he wasn't feeling that. By the way, that's not faking it. That's walking in the strength of the Lord. You might say, well, that must be faking. No, no, no. No, the Bible tells us in, in the book of Lamentations to wait quietly. A lot of times you're not, you don't wear every, sing, every single thing on your sleeve. Quietly, patiently, and I love the scripture it says, in quietness and confidence, this shall be your strength. Yes, the burden's there. Yes, it's heavy, but let your prayer closet lean on the Lord there. And yes, God will give you people here and there too, but for the most part, most journeys are you and Jesus. Maybe someone here is going to become a champion of faith and you don't know it today, but God can use anybody. We have no idea how God could or would use any of us. Our responsibility is the same as Nehemiah. It's just to be ready. It's just to be available. We don't know everything Nehemiah was doing during that four-month period, but we do know his burden hadn't faded. We can be fairly confident, I think you'd agree with me, he continued to pray. Do you believe that? That he kept praying, kept praying, kept seeking. And lastly, and we know one thing for certain, he continued to work. He continued to go to work. He did not lay in bed and pull the covers up over his head. No, he continued to work. He continued to put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes that's the best we can do, folks, right? Just keep one foot in front of the other. Go, go to work anyway. Go change that diaper. Go do something. Go help somebody. He continued to perform the job God had given him. He had a job, and he said, I'm, I'm just going to go do the job God gave him. I'm a cupbearer. I'm going to go be the best cupbearer I can be. He continued doing that. Now, a little background on what it meant to be a cupbearer, because we don't really have this job today, right? I mean, I, I have brought a cup of coffee to my wife before, but that, you know, that's about the closest <laughs> I've come. Many times I've brought her a cup of coffee. And, and the, the uh, styrofoam or the cardboard one with that Starbucks logo on it, too. But the ancient role of cupbearer was a position of significance of prestige, and of great responsibility. You may have not known that, but this was a big job. This is a big deal. If you were the cupbearer, you had a premium job in the kingdom. They had a position of great influence and access to the kings. And in most cases, uh, you know, any cupbearer would be known, but if you were the cupbearer to the most powerful king on earth, it's even a bigger job than, this isn't some low level, this was the dominant empire in the world at that time, the Persian Empire. Cupbearers, they had to be educated. They had to be intelligent. And 
You didn't make that determine. The king's men made the determine if you were intelligent, right? You had to be intelligent. You had to be well-spoken. And they had to converse with the king. They had to converse with royal subjects and dignitaries that would come in from other, other lands and other nations. The cupbearer, kind of like a presidential cabinet member, would be asked for advice at times. What do you think? What do you think about this, Nehemiah? You've been with me a long time. Insights. You ever rely on people that are close to you? Say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about my idea or my decision? The cupbearer had to have a good personality and a really good countenance. Had to be someone that people were attracted to, that people had some sort of, wow, I'd like to hear from this individual. Those close to the king were to enhance and improve the positive atmosphere around the monarch. Nobody was allowed to bring the king's mood down. You could not be a Debbie Downer in the king's... You, you don't last long in this job. You don't last alive long in this job if you're coming in there moping. That's not going to happen. The cupbearer would be someone who is handsome, cultured, well-dressed, highly reliable, very organized. Kind of sounds like Daniel, doesn't it? By the way, he rose to the ranks too. In other words, the cupbearers were the best of the best. They were Harvard summa cum laude, top of the class types. Lastly, cupbearers were also to taste the king's wine and the king's food to guard against poisoning. This is the part of the job you find out, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, I did want the job, but, and by the way, there's one other part of your job that comes with all the perks. You're going to have the best business card in the land. You're going to be, but guess what? If there's poison in the food, you, you may not get to do this job that long. So <laughs> that's kind of the secret service aspect of the job, right? You're going to have to take a bullet for the king. By the way, high visibility roles always come with risk. If you ever aspire to anything that has high visibility, know that it has high risk. And by the way, the more you grow in leadership, the more you'll satanic attacks too. High visibility roles come with high risk. But a deep trust and loyalty was forged with kings and their cupbearers. You had to have someone loyal, right? Had to be a loyal person. And they were committed to the health and the safety and the throne of the king. And Nehemiah was committed to all these things. He had a relationship with Artaxerxes, but... But week after week, Nehemiah continues working and serving, and for whatever reason, either God veiled the king's eyes, or Nehemiah just got just enough joy and strength for each day, and a lot of times that's all we get, right? Just enough for that day, right? But whatever it was, he was able to do his job and do it well, and Artaxerxes didn't notice anything different during those four months. Each day, he has this job to do, and he just waits on God to say, is today the day? Will I get an opportunity? Will you open the door for me to finally say something? But you know the old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? And I know that that's not in Scripture. So if you're trying, where verse is that? It's not in your Bible. It's not a passage of Scripture, but there is a spiritual truth to it, isn't there? While Abraham was waiting for his son, he continued tending flocks, didn't he? He continued doing the things, God, you, all right, you gave me 
servants to invest in. You gave me Sarah, my wife, to invest in. You gave me this land to invest in. And he did. He did what God had said. But where's the son? God says, you just keep doing what I asked you to do. I'll worry about when the son's going to show up. And that's what he did. He even, he even did some counseling with Lot during that time, right? Helping Lot. And Abraham said, that was my worst counseling. Lot was hard to counsel. He never listened to counsel. But at least he was trying, right? At least, a lot of times in your job, you might say, well, this isn't working. It's working if God told you to do it and you did it. Noah would say, Lord, Lord, when's the flood coming? No one's listening. No one's listening. No one's listening. God said, I didn't tell you to be responsible for what they do. I just told you you're responsible to keep saying. And that's what he did. As Joseph waited for God to free him from slavery and then prison, much less to have these dreams fulfilled when he had when he was a teenager, right? He determined, what, to be the best servant he could possibly be. That didn't work out so well. Then he ends up in prison. Then he's the best prisoner he could possibly be, right? The most honorable prisoner he could possibly be. He just kept working and just being consistent. Oh, man, God just wants us to be consistent. Just, just say, Lord, I'm going to keep reading the Bible every day. I'm going to keep praying every day. When I go, uh, on, my, um, when I go on my runs around this one lake near our house, uh, I observe a lot of animals. I, I love to see. God speaks to me through little things, spiritual things. And, and one day I'm running, and I see these two swans, which they, they were there for like four straight months every day. They, they were such a blessing. I kind of got to know them, I felt like. But anyway, they were there every day. But I would always run past squirrels, too. I was like, if there's not two more dramatically different animals, squirrels look like they had 40 cups of espresso <laughs> all times, right? There's never a time where a squirrel doesn't look like it just had its 40th cup of espresso. It is nervous about everything. Uh, it is hiding, like, I don't want your acorn or anything. I'm, I'm nowhere near you, and, you know, and you're freaking out over here. The swans, I could get really close, and they were just as calm and elegant and regal and not bothered by me running by them. They're like, they like, we know who we are. We're just fine. They don't, they don't, they don't squirrel away anything, right, <laughs> literally. Uh, they don't. They don't prepare anything. They have no, like, bank account. Jesus said, look at the birds. They don't worry about anything. They just go about day after day doing the job God gave them to do. They'll sing. The swan just gliding on the water, not bothered by the... Of course, swans are kind of like the boss when they land somewhere. The ducks kind of move out. Everyone just kind of... They do their... And the squirrel, they're nuts. <laughs> they're absolutely bizarre. I'm like... They're nervous about everything. They're just going every different direction. I'm like, you guys need to be like, you need to watch the swans for a while. Then I'm like, I need to watch the swans for a while because I sometimes get wired about things. But Lord says, look, and, and it reminded me, Jesus said, look at the birds there. They don't, they don't flutter around crazy. They're just under control. And that's what Nehemiah keeps doing, just under control. Say, Lord, day after day, I'm going to go in your strength. This is the way you've made me. This is the way you want me to work. You know, Paul told Timothy, even as there were many distractions as a young pastor, there, there was the difficulty of the Roman Empire. There was the false motives of many people that could derail or discourage. Paul said this, and I love these simple words, labor and word and doctrine. 
Just labor and word and doctrine. A lot of times, God's just telling you, go labor for me and let all the other stuff kind of, God will bring it to pass and it's time. What about this prayer I've been praying? Just go labor in the truth of the word and labor in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just go do your job. There is something settling and simplifying about having a job to do, about having some, oh, good news is I have some responsibility. A lot of times, people, the things people complain about are really the things that actually will keep them moving in life, to have a focus, and then to do it diligently for the honor of God until, as we wait, he shows up for the next directions. Amen? Let's take a look at what takes place next in Nehemiah and what takes place in our lives as well. This is the part we really like, stretched while waiting. Oh, we love being stretched, don't we? If I've learned anything about the Christian life, uh, during in my life, and maybe yours too, I've seen my life in segmented chapters. I, I, I really, I can see my life, that was this chapter, zero to 13, and I got these years, and I got the college years, and I got early married years, and then we had kids when they were young years, and, and then I became in the ministry, and all these things. I see these segmented chapters ever since I came to Christ in 1995, and I especially have learned more waiting in the last 10 years as, I, as I've gotten in the ministry as a pastor, and, and even more so in the last five years. But you will learn, we will learn as Christians, waiting is something God does for everybody. Say, for us or to us? No, for us. It's that waiting on God. It's that waiting for Him to answer. It's that waiting for Him to give direction, waiting for Him to move, waiting for Him to respond waiting for him to provide, waiting for him to give relief, waiting for him to increase our faith. You ever wanted that? Lord, please increase my faith. If I had increased faith, I could do anything, Lord. That's true. And sometimes it's just going to take longer than we think. It is. Here's Nehemiah. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? It's been four months. All of a sudden, he king notices something's here. Something's about what's going on. Understand that, uh, again, this has taken some time before this door is about to open, before this development, which he doesn't know how this development's going to go, but it's taken time to get here. Now, God's not bound by time, but we most definitely are, right? And in this life, there will be times of testing, there'll be times of suffering, there'll be times of waiting, there'll be times of monotony. Like it just seems like, well, this doesn't even seem, doesn't seem important, but it, I guess I got to go to work and just keep doing these things. There'll be times of silence. And these things will stretch us, they will unsettle us, and they'll cause us to scratch our heads sometimes, Right? But, that, but I read this verse, and I read this verse, and I read this verse. I heard one of the best descriptions of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, as Pastor J.D. Greer said this, that, that uh, Ecclesiastes uh, is one of the books God wrote to show us that life can never be put in a tidy box. And it's true. And Nehemiah, he's seen this. There's things that will cause you questions. But ultimately, this waiting will make us more dependent on God. Do you believe that? It'll make us more dependent upon him. And here's really good news. You want good news? Here's some really good news. God 
is for you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes we feel that he has, but he hasn't. Our feelings are not true. His word is true. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Um, He'll make a way for us. And good news is for all of you here, if you keep your eyes on you're going to make it. You're not only going to make it, you're going to see God do amazing things if you just say, Lord, I'm going to hold on to a thread. And a lot of times that's what it is. This is a difficult process, but God is faithful, and he wants us to learn to trust in him in ways and measures beyond where we're at today. God's going to take us farther out into deeper waters than we a lot of times want to go. I know that's true of me. I would have stayed in the shallow end forever, Lord. I like it here. You know, I can touch, and you know, it's warmer here. It's colder out there. You can't touch out there, right? But he takes you. Farther than you want to go. Nehemiah, during that time, though, during that waiting time, he was just trying to do the best he could. And he was holding this burden. It's getting heavier. His heart is still broken for Jerusalem. He's holding it together there at work. Everything looks fine as far as anyone could tell. But on this particular day, as he probably wondered when and how God would kind of open things up, the burden of his heart finally showed on his face. This day it should, because the king said, I see sadness in you. He couldn't hide the pain, though he had hid it for months. And by the way, even though we're not supposed to wear all our feelings on our sleeves, there might come a time where God does want you to open up to somebody. And that, for some people, that might take humility, because some people don't want anyone to know that they can't handle anything in this world. I'm the strongest person. I'm, I'm like Superman or Wonder Woman. I don't watch those movies, but you might like them, but anyway. But on this particular day, the king saw it. And God will use the situations to change us, but also to speak to other people, won't he? Sometimes it's going to come out. God says, "I, I didn't want you to share it before, but today I do want you to share. Isn't that weird that sometimes God wants you to keep your mouth zipped and not say a word about what you're going through? And maybe not for months. But on one day, when you don't want to say it is when God will say to say it. It's when you feel like kind of telling everybody everything that you're not going to be able to tell everybody everything. And then when you don't feel like saying it, God says, now I want you to be vulnerable. Why? Can't it be the other way, right? doesn't work that way, does it? God says, now I do want you to say it. And today you're not going to be able to hide it because today is the day the king and you are going to make this connection. King saw it. Nehemiah had been depending on God to hold him up and to work and to do the job the best as he could, but now he's going to need God's help, really need God's help, because he's about to get petrified. He's been looking sad in the presence of an ancient king, and that was a very dangerous thing. As I said, you can't be uh, bringing down the king's mood. Strangely, everything going absolutely wonderful. Um, Everything, isn't it a strange thing that everything going just absolutely wonderful and in perfect harmony with the American dream doesn't produce a deep dependence on God, does it? Think about it. Does that produce a deep dependence on God when everything is absolutely perfect? It's like watching House Hunters where someone's getting a million-dollar home, they got $3 million in the bank, and everything... And even the kitchen that is outdated by two years is going to be done perfect, right? <laughs> Everything is just right. No, the pursuit of possessions, 
of great health, of a great job, of increased success, of lots of friends, of plenty of money, of awesome weekends, of fantastic vacations, a bundle of leisure and activity in your life, a Facebook timeline full of amazing things about yourself, right? Great food, nonstop laughter, none of that really leads to trusting in God. Isn't that amazing? That does not lead people to, I mean, trust, anchor in God. If it was, then we wouldn't have so many issues. I've shared this before, but a Romanian pastor noted that in his life, it was his observation that 90% of Christians that endured pain and suffering, even persecution, kept the faith and actually grew in their faith. But 90% that saw great material blessing and just had it all left the faith. 90%. They, it didn't cause their faith to deepen. They no longer needed God. They no longer needed to wait on God. At least they thought they didn't need to wait on God. That's a deception, right? See, the worst is not to kind of get bummed out here. The worst is to get bummed out in front of Jesus face to face at the end of the age, right? While those that were stretched, those that endured difficulty and burdens, they clung to the Lord. That's all they had. And they kept the faith, and they even grew in the faith. Nehemiah, in some respects, uh, this is good for us, Nehemiah, in some respects, he's the perfect example of the unprecedented historical prosperity of us as Americans. He's a good example to us. Why, why would you say that? Well, he had a great job, right? He had a really good job, successful, had it all. You know, if you live in America and you make, as an individual, $34,000 a year, you're in the 1% of the world. Say, really? I've been told that, uh, that, that I don't have much. You need to get outside the borders uh, and go see what the rest, how the rest of the world lives. You're in the 1%. Nehemiah, he had this great job, great position. He had standing in the world. He had a reputation in the world. He had all of these things, but none of it mattered to him. He didn't care about it. That's pretty rare, isn't it? It is very rare when you meet someone who has a lot and doesn't, they're not attached to it. Abraham was that way. David was that way. Nehemiah was that way. Very few can even handle it because most people will idolize it. Nehemiah didn't. He was willing to say, Lord, if you want to send me to Jerusalem to live in a tent, I'm good to go. He was okay with that. And he's a, good, he's a good example for us. He didn't do like Jonah and run from being stretched, right? No, he didn't run from God. He willingly entered into a burden. He willingly entered into a burden for people 1,000 miles away. He had a good job. He could have said, that's their problem. I'm doing good here. They made their own bed. They can sleep in it, Right? He willingly put his job and his life on the line. Remember, he could have ignored Jerusalem, but he chose to care. And here is us as Americans, since we've all been blessed beyond what the 99% of the world has been blessed by, we have to choose to care. We have to choose to enter into the burden. We have to choose to take up our cross. We have to choose to be moved. He chose to be moved, and he wept. He could have eaten, instead he fasted. He had access to anything on the menu. And he fasted anyway. He could have avoided all the uncomfortable waiting, 
if he just didn't care and he just put it out of his mind. It's not his problem. But no, he entered into caring and he said, Lord, I want to acquire the heart of God. And he did. And now here the moment has come. God opens the door for Nehemiah to trust him to speak on the opportunity that he's been praying for and praying for and praying for, and now the day has come. By the way, when opportunity knocks, it can be scary. Amen? Amen. Well, the things we pray for, you better be careful what we pray for, right? Because God may just answer it. He's been praying for it. Now the opportunity comes. God gives you an opportunity to share your faith, and you freeze, right? Uh, I didn't know my coworkers would be standing here. They're going to find out I'm a Jesus-loving person. This is going to ruin my review and everything else, right? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? The opportunity comes. God doesn't want us to shrink back. He wants us to step forward, step forward in faith, and he does. And so he says, I love, this is something the rabbis would do. The rabbis, even in the, in the, in the uh, ancient Midrash, and they would answer questions with questions. And by the way, Jesus did this a lot. Remember they call him rabbi? People would ask Jesus a question. He asked them a question right back. It was his way of answering their question, like, well, you tell me how this worked. I was just trying to stump you, right? You know, I wasn't trying to find an answer. But Nehemiah, he's asked a question, what is wrong with this like sorrow of heart? Why is, why is your face sad? And he says, why should my face not be sad when the city, he, he explains his heart. He doesn't, he doesn't try and plead with the king. He just simply says, why would it not be sad if there's not tombs? He mentions the tombs. By the way, in the ancient culture, everyone had a respect for burial and death. So by mentioning a tomb, he actually, this is the Holy Spirit given words, by mentioning tombs, it softens the response of the king because the king's like, well, we all respect and revere tombs. It's pretty genius, but it wasn't his idea. God will give you the words to speak when you need to speak them. It's God's genius is what I'm saying. But he says the tombs and the place are burned with fire. And now the king and him had a relationship, but even if he was even remotely going to be agitated by Nehemiah, for some reason God softens his heart and immediately God gives him the opportunity to say, all right, even though I'm crippled with fear here or could be, because uh, it says, I became dreadfully afraid. You ever been dreadfully afraid? Verse 4, he's feeling this fear. He doesn't know how, how the king's going to respond. So I pray to the God of heaven. The burden of Nehemiah had been draining, but the fear can be crippling, right? Burdens can be draining, but fear can be crippling. I've dealt with both in my life. How about you? I've been drained. I've been crippled, at least with, I, I can't move forward, Lord. I can't do that. They can both hit us like you know, a wave knocking you over in the ocean. But uh, in his ongoing prayer life, God has been strengthening him and getting him ready for this moment. God's strengthening you and getting re you ready for a moment. Getting him ready that, that when the Spirit speaks, God would give him the words on his lips to respond, and he answers this question with a question, and it's perfectly placed because the king receives it well. And when he says, how can I not feel this way there's probably a pause because the king still has to respond to if he says, well, how can I not feel this way? The king could say, that's not my problem. Don't ever bring it up again. He doesn't. There's a pause here. It probably feels like an eternity to Nehemiah. What's going to happen? 
But look what happens, verse 4. The king says, what do you request? Nehemiah's like, whoo! Four months of prayer. What do you request? And he prays again on the spot, and then it's followed by greater boldness and a humble request. And we look at the last point this morning. If we've made it through working, if we've made it through being stretched, God has a reward for those that wait upon the Lord. He'll renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. Amen? Isaac Newton said, If I have ever made any valuable discoveries, it has been owing more to patient attention than any other talent. One thing God is saying is, look, through all of the things, working, stretching, being stretched, fear attacks, draining attacks, all that stuff, God says, I'm going to teach you patience. And as you learn patience, it's more valuable than your abilities and what you know than who you know. Patience comes from God. And God gives us a patient attention. Hebrews 6.12 says, through faith and patience inherit the promises. You read all these promises of God, do you know they're all incumbent upon us being patient? The promises are real, but we have to develop the patience that God wants to uh, just work out in our lives. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. God is hearing our cry, but he's saying, I'm going to teach you to be patient in the process. I didn't say it was easy. It's not easy. But God is faithful. We're not so faithful. He's faithful to keep it. And this is our second familiar saying of the morning. You know this one too. Good things come to those who wait. Right? Also not a scripture. Um, now this has a general truth and consistency in many aspects of life. Wouldn't you agree that they, if those of you have been alive long enough to see that generally that, that has a lot of truth to it. Those who are willing to wait, right, don't go in as much debt, right? That's a good thing. Those who are willing to wait make better decisions. Those who are willing to wait, you know, don't make big mistakes. Um, so there's, there's a lot of general truth to that. But in the spiritual realm, if we're walking in the ways of the Lord and in the Spirit of the Lord and we're patiently waiting in prayer for His wisdom, for His direction, for His provision, then we can confidently say that the things of God, the good things of God, come to those who humbly wait on Him. Amen? We can confidently say that. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from who? The Father. Comes down from the Father. Now, by the way, some gifts that God has given us are good and they're perfect, even if we don't originally recognize them as gifts. Matter of fact, we don't think of them as gifts. You're like, God, you put this person in my life? That's not a gift. God's like, no, they're going to make you who I want you to be. They don't seem like a gift. No, they're, they're a gift. They're going to rub sandpaper some stuff off you that I haven't gotten off you in years. So that's a gift. I'm sure a number of us, um, I'm sure a number of us know now we can look back and see certain trials that we've gone through changed us for the good. Right? God humbled us when we were prideful. God, we, we stopped trusting in ourselves. We, we were conformed to the will and the image of Jesus. And the fact that we can now see that is also a gift of God's grace, isn't it? The fact that we can even see where we came from is a gift 
from God. But we know that waiting in prayer and then the answers to our prayers don't always go according to how we pray, do they? Nor do they go according to our expectations. Do some of you have expectations? I think it's best that we lay aside some of the specific expectations. Instead, focus on the reality that God is faithful. That's an expectation we can all keep front and center, that God is faithful. But if we have a list of expectations, well, answer to prayer will look like this, 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 and this. You could find disappointment in that, right? The reality is God is faithful. When we do that, we'll be more grateful in how God answers on our prayers and in what we're hoping for, even if we don't really know what to expect. Now, because we're human, itemized expectations still creep in, don't they? They creep into me. Even when I try my best not to have expectations, I still do. You do too, right? You'll say, I'm not going to have an expectation. Guess what? There's still some lingering expectations in almost everything in life. It's part of us being human. They'll creep in. But the more we practice praying, thy will be done, the more those expectations will fade. It's not an easy problem. It takes time. And our desire is to please God, and we'll be less attached to our expectations. We'll be less attached to them. But Nehemiah, he was an imperfect person just like us. And even if he diligently tried to refrain from expectations, he probably had a few in mind. You know what I mean. He probably had a few scenarios he felt would look like answered prayer. If God answered my prayer, it probably looked something like this. How it would go. What the favor of God would look like. And you know what I love about what happens next in our text we read already? I love what happens next. Sometimes God far exceeds and blows away our expectations and how we think things could go. Oh, and that's my prayer for us this year, and I hope it's your prayer too, that God would far exceed what we're praying for. Throw out the expectation list and just say, God, even do what we're not even considering. That in spite of ourselves, in spite of the things that we've put off, in spite of the things where we're falling short in areas, uh, that we would just cry out in sincerity and desperation and see God open and possibly shut doors. That's what God does here with Nehemiah. Yes, Nehemiah, he was faithful. He was patient. Yes, he was prayerful and he was diligent. Yes, he was humble and he was believing. But he hadn't done enough to deserve God's blessing. Neither have we. The reward of favor from God is always based on this word, grace. Always based on grace. It's not, well, I've been the best Christian at Calvary Chapel of Richmond this year, so I'm probably going to get something for this, right? It's always based on grace. Nehemiah wisely got in position for God to move. But God acts in according to his own grace. Amen? That's good to know. And what happens? We've we got to wrap it up here. But the king says, what, what do you want? He says, well, if it pleases the king, if, you, if I found favor in your sight, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to take a leave of absence. Because the king says, how long are you going to be gone? I'll give you a time. And he sets a time. So I'll, I'll go there. I'm going to take on an impossible task. But king, if you'll give me the time, I'll go. And uh, I just need... Letters that I can use the king's for us. But, but the king does better than that. He says, I'm going to send men with you. 
a detachment, a military detachment. You have access to it all. I'm going to give you a blank credit card. Go back and do it. And God acts in a great way. And remember Nehemiah's we prayer? All of his waiting has been for the sake of others. It, this isn't a I want to. It's all about other people. He's willing to go if God lets him go, and God is going to let him go. He's willing to go if the king gives him favor and God gives him favor. Um, if God wanted to send someone perfect, he wouldn't have sent Nehemiah. He could just send an angel. But he's going to send Nehemiah. See, the Lord is looking for us, that it, those that are sincere, that are patiently waiting. In Isaiah 66, 2, it says, But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and has a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. The reason why God blesses and pours out on Nehemiah is his heart was soft and tender. Amen? That's what God wants in us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time again this morning. We pray that you would just, uh, Lord, whatever it is you want us waiting for in this room, you know each situation, each heart. Lord, first and foremost, we will not be able to wait, we know, until we align our heart with you, until we're able to say, thy will be done. And Lord, the more we're able to say that, the more we're able to say, Lord, here we are, send me. Here we are, send us. Lord, then you're going to stretch us, but we'll see it as worthwhile. You're going to continue to use us in working, but we'll see it as you've given us a job to do. Lord, you're going to reward us in your time as we simply say, Lord, we trust in you. Though everything else may look like it's not working, Lord, we're going to trust in the name of the Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would have and develop this Nehemiah spirit in us this year. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.